Take your Bibles, Matthew chapter 7 this morning. We have this week, I'll be out of town next week, and then two more weeks, and that will be it for our study on the Sermon on the Mount, so three sermons left. We are, kind of reminder where we're at, uh, kingdom citizens, right? This is what it looks like to be a citizen of God's kingdom, and so all the way from the Beatitudes to where we're at now, Jesus is just laying it out for us of what it looks like to be a follower of him, to be a citizen in his kingdom. Now, last week was uh, one of the most famous passages, probably, in the Sermon on the Mount about do not judge. Uh, I say famous, I probably can include taken out of context. Uh, but do not judge so that you will not be judged. And, and we talked about that, and we worked our way through that, and then that passage about a beam and a speck in your eye. And, and we are called to, to come alongside others in this kingdom, other citizens, and come alongside and help remove specks after we have done our job of removing our own beam. Right? So, so that's kind of where we've been. And, and so Jesus continuing this kingdom living, he's going to say these things in verse 7 through 12, which is our text this morning. He says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? Verse 12, And everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you. For this is the law and the prophets. Okay, so verse 7, we are given three words, right? Ask, seek, and knock. And, and in this asking, seeking, and knocking, like, like we've talked about prayer, Matthew 6, we're not going to pray like the hypocrites pray who stand in the synagogue in the streets so they get the attention of men. Like, like we've walked through that already months ago probably now. Okay, uh, we, we've talked in that passage the Lord's Prayer, what we call the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer. Okay, we'll refer back to those things. Here Jesus uh, is coming and he says, here's these three words, ask, seek, and knock. These three words are imperatives. What does that mean? It means they're commands. Okay, so it's not just that it's a good thing for kingdom citizens to, to pray, to seek these things out, to, to knock. Uh, it's not just good for us to do those things. It's actually commanded for us to do these things. Okay, so, so as kingdom citizens, Jesus is commanding us to, to come and ask and seek and knock. Okay, not just that, but they're in the present tense. Uh, I know it's a little nerdy, but what does that mean? It means it's, it, the command starts it and there's no, there's no ending of it. So we could easily translate this, seek and keep on seeking, knock and keep on knocking, ask and keep on asking. Right? Like that is, is totally what the Greek means. Okay, so just from the Greek words and what we've seen so far, what if, what if we, can, we can draw something away from this? Jesus is commanding his citizens to, to be commanding them to be persistent in prayer, to be persistent in this asking, to be persistent in seeking and knocking. So, so if we think about it, like kingdom citizens, if, if you had some uh, way of grading us as kingdom citizens or some mark or some characteristic or however you want to word that, like on the sheet would be what? Would be prayer warriors. Would be people who are constantly in prayer, right? Because Jesus is commanding for us to, to ask and keep on asking. Okay, but notice the verbs, these, these imperatives. Notice the words themselves, right? Like, like, what does he say? He says, you're going to ask, okay? Like we understand that, but just... Like, it's a verbal thing. It doesn't take much, much power as far as physical strength to go ask. It doesn't take a lot of effort, per se. Uh, depending on what question you maybe are asking, you might find it be harder than others. But asking is something we would do with our mouth. Seek uh, would point, the Greek word, you could 
could point more towards something you do with your mind. Uh, it could be more on focusing on something, or the Greek word could just mean seek, like you're looking for a specific object. Okay, but this isn't necessarily going to be done with your mouth. This is, this is you going and doing something. And then we have knock. And knock uh, would, would mean even more than that. Right? Like this is, this is you actually going and doing something. So there seems to be some sort of order and some sort of steps here in what Jesus is saying. So we're going to start verbally. We ask, but we look for the answers and we expect to find them. Okay? Looking back at these words, what does he say? He says, seek. We've seen this word before already in the Sermon on the Mount. Right? Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, what does he say? He says, seek the, seek the kingdom of God. Don't seek the earthly treasure. Seek the heavenly treasure. Seek God himself. So if we, if we take that, what he says in Matthew 6, 33, and we take that seek, and we put it here in Matthew 7, verse 7, then, then wouldn't we think it would be appropriate for us to seek after God, to seek after his kingdom, which then means what? Which means those are probably the things that we should be asking for. Right, so, so just from the context of the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to assume that Jesus is saying we're not asking for millions of dollars in private islands and our own really cool lifted truck. Like, we're not asking for those things. We're asking for kingdom-related things. For, for him, we're asking for more of him. We're asking for more of his kingdom. We're asking for, for those things. Okay, so if, so if we just stop and think about it, like just, just stop. We're going to be persistent in prayer, and we should be persistent in prayer in kingdom-related things. So, so what does that look like? Well, let me give you the end picture of this kingdom. Revelation 7-9 would say this. John writing, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could count, from every nation and all the tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, and palm branches were in their hands, and they cry out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Like, this is eternity future, and this is a, a crowd that John says was too big for him to number. Made up of all different backgrounds and all different people groups, and, and like, this is the kingdom. And we get to be, those of us in Christ, we're part of this kingdom, both here and now, and also in the future. And this is what we're looking forward to. And so why wouldn't we say to Jesus, why wouldn't we say to our Father here in verse 7, like, I'm going to ask you for certain things, and I'm going to ask you for more kingdom-related things that look a lot more like Revelation 7-9, and I'm not going to ask you so much for things here on the earth. Right? And yet our prayer lives so, so easily, and we'll talk about this more later, but we so easily pray for things in the here and now. And I get it, like, car breaks down and we don't know what to do about it. We want to seek. I'm not telling you not to pray for those things. But, but I think the picture here from the whole uh, context of the Sermon on the Mount is that we would ask and seek and knock about kingdom-related things. About this picture of a beautiful uh, uh, people that would come and together in Revelation 7-9. And what a, what a glorious picture that is. And we want more of that, not just in the future, but we want some of that now. Like, and so let's, let's pray that way. This word knock, uh, we kind of mentioned it already. What, just, I don't want to dive too deep and make this mean something it doesn't. But uh, just in my own thinking, you don't knock on an open door, right? Like maybe you give the courtesy knock as you're walking in. You're like, hey, door's open, you just walk. But like knocking probably means the closed door, which means in my seeking, uh, it's going to take some effort. It's going to take some, like, God, I'm not positive. I'm going to step out in faith. I'm going to knock on this door. I'm going to see which way you want me to go. And I, I think so often we would ask. And in our asking, we sit and we say we're patiently waiting for God. And yet we're not seeking or knocking. And, and there seems, some, seems to be some sort of like we ask and then we're going to step out in faith and go find the answer. And we're going to knock on doors to see if God opens them. Right? And I don't want to go too far down that road. Okay, but if we're going to ask, I already said, what are we going to ask about? We're going to ask about uh, kingdom topics, right? We go to Matthew 6, you don't have to turn there. Just an overview of that model prayer that Jesus gave us. Okay, we're going to ask for his kingdom and his will to be done here on earth. 
right? So that would be something we would ask for. We ask for his name to be, to be holy, to be lifted up, for, for people to see God for who he is. Right? It's something that we would ask for in our prayers. We would ask for our daily needs to be met and taken care of. Right? So, so just how do we pray according to the Lord's Prayer? And I know we covered this already, but just reminding us, right? And then the last thing in the Lord's Prayer was forgiveness of sins. Okay, so, so we want the kingdom, uh, we want his will, we want his name to be lifted up, we want him to meet our needs, and we want the forgiveness of sins. So those are the four topics that Jesus lays out for us in, the, in, in that model prayer. Okay, so we take that, and then we compare that to how we would often pray. And, and I think, I want to say, that this is probably like a Western culture, um, American church type of prayer, but James 4 would, would kind of lay it out for us rather, rather plainly. And if James is talking about it 2,000 years ago, not in America, then I'm assuming it's probably something that Christians have struggled with for a lot longer than just 1776 America, right? So James 4 would say this, you ask and you do not receive, right? Jesus says, ask and you will receive. James is saying, you ask and you do not receive. Why? Because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your own pleasures, Here's what James is saying, and this is our temptation. Every, every person that's ever professed Jesus and, and has prayed to God has had this temptation that I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask God for something that is not God, but maybe that thing that's not God will bring more satisfaction. And so it's God, like, God, I know you're the one that should bring satisfaction. I know you're the one I should be pursuing and in your word and know you, and, and yet I'm going to go to you and I'm going to ask you for something else that might bring more satisfaction. Right? And so, so I'm not saying to not pray for these things. But it's so often that we would go to God and ask for something that's comfortable or we ask him to fix a broken relationship, not for his glory and for his honor and for those things, but just because it's awkward and weird and I would rather be, serve the God of comfort. And I don't know how to fix what's broken and I don't know how to take care of what's going on here. And since it's broken and uncomfortable and I don't know what to do about it, I'm going to go to the one who could do something about it and ask him to fix my life for me, not for his honor and his glory, but just for the God of comfort that I serve. Right? We, over and over again, would go to God and ask God for something that has nothing to do with God. And it's, God, I think you're not quite fulfilling what I want you to fulfill, so could you come up and, and give me what I really want? And so there's almost this weird, like, I'm going to serve God, uh, and, and maybe God will then give me what I really want, which isn't him, it's something else. Right? So that's James 4, right? So James 4 would say, this is how we typically pray. Or this is our temptation to pray. I could say it that way. And yet Jesus is saying, no, no, we're praying not for our own pleasure. We're not praying out of wrong motives. We're praying out of the context of the kingdom and, and living for that and, and wanting more and more of that. Okay, so, so then the question is this. If God, and we're going to see this in a little bit, but if God is good, if God is, is gracious, we, we see him in this passage that he, Jesus calls him our father. Like the question would be, why do we not pray? Like, like kingdom citizens, citizens should be known for their prayers. Like we should be people of prayer. People should be like, that person prays. He's a follower of Jesus. He prays. Like you'd say fish lives in water. You'd say follower of Jesus prays. Like to, to just go hand in hand. It's not like, oh, he's really good at prayer and he's not. No, follower of Jesus, citizen of the kingdom, they pray. And yet we would say that we don't pray nearly enough. And we could, everybody, everyone on planet earth, apart from Jesus, would say they've never prayed enough. Okay, so I'm not trying to make anybody feel guilty. But if we were just honest, there's seasons of our life where we don't, we don't pray. And we go through a day or a week, or whatever it might look like, and we don't spend time in prayer. And so the question is, why don't we pray? And I think Jesus is going to give us a couple of answers. Okay, so just from the text. Why don't we pray? Verse 8 says this, For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be open. Okay, same thing we just saw in verse 7. But here's the thing. In verse 8, it, it sounds like you pray uh, the prayer that, that for the kingdom, for, for God to work, 
that is context of what we're in and Sermon on the Mount, then what's the answer? The answer is God's going to respond. Like you ask, you will receive. And I think there's some level of, of do we really believe God's going to come through? I'm going to ask, I'm going to put faith in here, I'm going to seek and I'm going to knock, I'm going to do all these steps that God's, God's called, commanded us to do as kingdom citizens. Like, I'm going to go and I'm going to do all these to the best of my ability and there's some fear in the back of my brain that God's not coming through. And then, and then I, I kind of put myself out there and, and, and it's like God just left me hanging. And so what do we do? Is we don't pray because somehow if I don't pray and God doesn't do anything, then it doesn't hurt as bad as if I did pray and God doesn't come through. And so, so what is Jesus saying to us? I think he's saying, and why he repeats this, verse 7, ask, it will be given to you. Verse 8, everyone who asks receives. Like, I think Jesus is reminding us that as we would pray kingdom prayers, God answers those prayers. As we would seek kingdom things, God reveals more kingdom things to us. And yet, there's some fear that God's going to leave us hanging. Second thing, just here from the text, why we don't pray. Next, uh, next couple verses. So verse 9, what man is there among you who when his son asks for a loaf will give him a stone or if he asks for a fish will he give him a snake, right? And so, so what's, what is Jesus saying? I, I think there's some level here like, okay, maybe we don't doubt that God's going to answer our prayer. We just think he's going to answer it in such a way that I'm not going to appreciate it. And so, so I'm, not, I'm not driven to pray. Why? Because I don't think God's going to answer it in the way that I would appreciate. So, so it says here like, like would, would your, you as a, a father, give your son, when he asks for something to eat, would you give him a stone? And the answer is no. And what does he call us? Jesus says, uh, what man is there among you? Uh, oh, verse 11. Even then being evil, us being evil, like sinful nature, consumed with ourselves, loving ourselves more than we love others. If we know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? Right? And so so if, if we who are sinful would give a good gift to our child, how much more would God who isn't sinful want to give good gifts to his children? And yet we think that we're going to pray for, for God's kingdom, to you know, something to happen, whatever, and God's going to answer it in such a way that's not good. And so what do we do? Is we don't pray about it. Okay, this is my, I don't know where this came from. This, was, this is my life as a teenager. Um, again, I wasn't ever taught to me. It's just assumptions I made somehow. Anyway. If you prayed, and there's some, some theology that we won't get into today that I disagree with, but it's part of the story. If you prayed that, God, here's my life, take it and use whatever you want with it, which would, I would put closer to salvation and not 10 years down the road from salvation, but again, that's how I grew up, okay? You pray this prayer, God, take my life, use it however you want. The answer to that prayer, in my mind, was God's going to send you to the deepest, darkest part of Africa. Why? Because they don't have air conditioning because they don't have cars. Uh, high school, some of you don't know what this is. That's fine. They didn't have AOL Instant Messenger. Like, like we're, we're not going to survive there. Like, it's going to be big bugs and you have to watch out for lions or whatever. Right? Whatever the thought was. But it was like, if I pray and say, God, here's my life. Take it however you want. I'm, I'm going to follow you. That he's going to answer it with some sort of like, well, you're going to Africa. Right? And so, so as a high school, like I can remember somebody walked forward in a revival type service and they walked forward and they said, God, you can use my life however you want. And in the back of my brain, I thought, you're going to Africa. Like, no joke. And yet, there's some of us that would still have the same thought 20 years later. And it might not be Africa. But it might be like, if, if I pray and I trust God for the answer, God's going God's gonna to do something that I don't want him to do. 
if I'm going to pray for my kid to grow up and, and love him. And I'm going to pray for my kid to be used by God's glory. And maybe that means my kid, fill in the blank, something that I don't want him to do. And so what do we do? We don't pray or we struggle to pray. Why? Because we're afraid of how God's going to answer the question. Okay, this is just a, a scenario. Do not read into the scenario, okay? Just something we all relate to. If we're going to pray for God's kingdom to happen here in this church, like, like that hopefully is a prayer that we would have. Okay, my high school self, how do I interpret the prayer that says, God, use this church however you want. How do I, high school self, interpret that prayer? I, I man, this church is going to cease to exist. Like God's going to take every single one of us and send us all somewhere far away uh, and we're all going to become missionaries and there will be no church left. Right? So, so do I pray that God uses this church for his kingdom? Like, well, maybe, but I don't really want this church to cease to exist, so maybe I wouldn't. And some of you would think, ah, God's good though, so he wouldn't call us to do that. Right? And so all of a sudden, we've just done what? We've just labeled or, or uh, characterized what God's goodness is and it matches what I think. Right? So now all of a sudden, it's like, no, God wouldn't do that. Why? Because he's not good. So if we pray a prayer and God answers it in a certain way, we have to trust him that it's good. Even when it doesn't match what we think is good. Okay? So what does that mean? It means, again, I'm not trying to paint a picture here. Like just, okay? If we pray for God to use this church for his kingdom and God decides to close these doors and, and he scatters us across this country or across this globe to be little outposts all around the world for him, like then we praise God. Why? Because that was what was good. Right? We so often wanted to find good in our lives. Which does what? Which puts us back to Romans 1, uh, which will be another sermon, another series. But Romans 1 would say what? That we think we're wise, and the context is what? That we're wiser than God. That we'd be a better God than God himself. And so what do we do? We don't pray because we think we know what's good, and we're afraid God's not going to give us what's good. And what are we saying? We're saying, God, I'm better at my life than you are. Like, I know you created me. I know you sustained me. I know you hold the whole world together. I know you're all powerful. I know you're all knowing. Like, like, I know all these things, but yet when it comes to my life, I'm better at defining what's good than you are. And so when we don't pray, just from this text, there's probably a lot of reasons why we wouldn't pray. But we don't pray, why don't we pray? Because we think God's not going to answer and he's just going to leave us hanging. Or we think God's going to come back and give us something evil. And so what does Jesus say? He says, no, here's your father, and he's going to give what is good. From, from the context of the whole Bible, we see God's after what? He's after his own glory. So he's going to answer these requests for, for what would glorify him the most and what would be the most beneficial to us. And that word beneficial, like, like it's scary because it takes effort and it takes work, and beneficial isn't just easy and comfortable all the time. But it's for his glory and our good. Right? So, so that's the struggle. Are we going to be people of prayer where it really comes back to the fact, are you going to trust God? Because we don't have a trust in God that he's going to enter prayer. We don't trust God that he's a good and gracious father. Then what? Then we're not going to go to him in prayer. And so we can preach messages all day about you need to spend X amount of hours in prayer. You need a prayer closet. You need all these things that are good and profitable, like not saying no. But if, but if we don't trust him, we're not going to do it anyway. Right? If we don't, we don't believe he's going to come through, we don't believe that he's good, why would we ever go talk to him to begin with? And so what do we want to do? We want to be people who would ask, who would seek, and who would knock, and who would do it over and over and over again. Because we serve this good and gracious king, this good and gracious father. Okay, now, that brings us to verse 12. In verse 12, uh, if we just skip over the first little bit, okay, so don't read, in my translation, don't read the first three words. Treat people the same way you want them to treat you, okay? 
that does not seem, just not trying to nitpick Jesus' message or how Matthew wrote this down, that doesn't seem to fit. Does it not? Like, ask, seek, knock seems to be more about prayer, more about seeking out God's kingdom and God's will here on earth, like open doors, however you want to word that. But that, okay, that seems like something that happened in this category. And then you get to treat people, let's just narrow it down even more, treat people well, treat people nicely, however you want to word that. And that doesn't seem like, hey, that's not like a prayer topic. That's not an ask, seek, knock topic. Like, what's going on here? But it's, it's got to be. Why does it have to be? Because of verse 12, and everything, therefore. And so that word, therefore, Jesus is saying, because of what I just said, here's what we're going to do about it. Okay, now here's, here's the dilemma. And you can read a lot of articles, you can spend a lot of time on it, or you can just listen to what I say, and that's fine too. Uh, but here's the therefore. The problem with therefore is how far back does it go? Right? Like, it's like does it go back to the fact that God is good and gracious? Yes. I think we can say that. Right? So, so verse 11 uh, he gives good gifts to his children. Verse 12, therefore you can give good gifts, if you will. You can be nice to other people. Right? It's easy. We got that one. Okay. Uh, maybe it goes back a little bit further. Maybe it goes back to the fact that God will answer your prayer. As you ask, he will give and you will receive. And because he's a good God in that way who answers prayer, that we can step out in faith and be, and, and be good and treat people well. Like maybe it goes there. You go all back to, to verse 1 of chapter 7. Like, don't be judgmental. Why? Because you wouldn't want people to be judgmental towards you. Would that not fit with what we call the golden rule? Yeah, for sure. It definitely fits. So, so the question that a lot of commentators have is, is this therefore, what is it? Was it a hinge? Like, how far back do we go on this therefore? Okay, I'm not saying I agree uh, with this. I'm just saying I've read it. It's interesting. I don't know how far back the therefore goes. But notice the end of verse 12. For this is the law and the prophets. That phrase we've already had in the Sermon on the Mount. We've already, we've already talked about it. It goes all the way back to Matthew 5, verse 17, right? Let me double check what I just said. Yeah, 5, 17. What does Jesus say? He says, do not think I came to abolish the law and prophets. And he gives this whole thing about it. He didn't come to abolish, but he came to fulfill. So what is Jesus saying in Matthew 5, 17 and following? He's saying that he's the fulfillment of everything the Old Testament has talked about. Like he's the fulfillment of it. And then what does he say here about the golden rule? He says, as you would do the golden rule, what are you doing? You are doing the law and the prophets, which means on the service level, you look like Jesus when you live out verse 12. But in the context level, a lot of commentators are saying he's saying law and prophets here to tie us back all the way to 5.17, which they would say then from 5.17 till 7.11 uh, is, is all of this therefore. Because of everything we said about the kingdom, because everything we said about kingdom citizens, this is what you would look like. You would look like somebody who treats other people the way you want to be treated. Right? You look like Jesus, you look like a kingdom citizen when verse 12 is taking place in your life. Okay, and we have the freedom to do that. Why? Because we serve a good and gracious king who would treat us well. Okay, but let's talk about the actual words themselves. Okay, in this, this, this golden rule, which so many people know, we probably memorized. Some of us didn't even know it was in the Sermon on the Mount, but we knew of it, we've heard of it, we've, people have told us about it. Right? In this phrase, treat people the same way you want them to treat you. Um, history, quick. Hillel was a, a school, he was a teacher, uh, but he, he, there's a school, if you wanted to be a rabbi, other religious leaders, you'd go to the school of Hillel. Okay, there's two main schools, Hillel's one of them. Hillel had a phrase, and his phrase went something of this fort, this, this idea, this, this topic. Don't, do not treat others how you do not want them to treat you. So, so his idea was, you don't want to be gossiped about, don't gossip about other people. You don't want to be beat up, don't beat up other people. 
Okay, but, but if you look at what Jesus says, he doesn't say what Hillel would have said in that time. Hillel, Hillel's shooting for what? He's shooting for some sort of, if we can word it this way, some sort of like morally neutral ground. Right? Don't be a jerk. Don't be mean. Don't be violent. Don't be whatever. And yet you look at the words of Jesus, and he's not saying just don't be mean. He's taking it a step further. Which, which seems to be kind of the, the theme of the whole Sermon on the Mount, right? That Jesus would take it a step further. And so verse 12 isn't just don't be mean or don't be uh, uh, whatever, an idiot to somebody. Verse 12 is saying this, you would treat people how you want to be treated. So what does that mean? It means that I want people to love me, so I'm going to reach out and love others. I want people to accept me and, and, and go, even going back to verse 7, like at some level, I want somebody to be able to call me out lovingly in my sin after they've taken the beam out of their eye and help me with my speck. Like, like I would want that. Maybe not always. It might not feel good, but I would want that. I definitely don't want the guy with the beam to show up and try and take the speck out. Like that's not what I want. And so what is Jesus saying? He's saying he's calling us to something better than just morally neutral. Not that that's possible, but hopefully we understand what I'm saying. It's not just don't be mean. It's we're going to love and we're going to be gracious and we're going to be kind and we're going to be good and we're going to do all of these things. And why are we going to do all of these things? We're going to do all of these things because it looks like Jesus. And so if we're going to be a follower of Jesus, we're going to look like the one we're following. And it, and it wouldn't be enough for us just not to curse. Like it wouldn't just be enough for us to, to whatever your list of, of things Christians shouldn't do. Like, like don't drink, don't, don't smoke, don't curse, don't whatever. Fill in the blank. Don't work, don't, don't go to the movies, uh, whatever we, I was told as a kid, like some other things of don'ts, right? Like it, that's never enough. A kingdom citizen isn't defined by what he doesn't do. It's also defined by what he does. And so here in verse 12, Jesus raises the stakes. And he says, here's what we're going to do. We're going we're to treat people how we want to be treated. We're going to love them as we would love. We're going to care for them. Okay, so all that to say, as we walk through Matthew 7, uh, the idea is what? What does it look like to be a kingdom citizen? Well, it looks like someone who would, who would pray and who would constantly be in prayer and who would be constantly asking, seeking, and knocking. And it looks like somebody who's going to treat other people how oh, he wants to be treated. <coughs> right, that's what it looks like to be a kingdom citizen. Let's end with this quote. Um, this is Daniel Aiken. I'm pretty positive that I have a quote from Daniel Aiken at the end of the Beatitudes weeks ago now that, that probably sounds quite similar, uh, but I'm, I'm not apologizing. I'm just... This is referring to this text, right? So Matthew 7, 7 through 12. These verses speak powerfully to our hearts because they powerfully show us Jesus. No one ever prayed to the Father so persistently and expectantly as did our Lord. Like, let's just, just I, he says more, but just pause for a second. Like, Jesus is God. Like, we understand that, right? Part of the Trinity, all these things, like, he is God. And, and yet, Jesus prays to the Father and he does so persistently. Like, we who are not God, who are sinful, like, is it, seem like we would be need to be the ones who are more persistent, and yet Jesus models it for us perfectly. Persistent and expectantly. He, Jesus, never stopped talking to his Father. He never stopped trusting his Father. He knew more intimately than anyone that he is a good Father. And no one ever loved like Jesus. No one, friend or foe, his love was a river of compassion, grace, and mercy. Look to Jesus and his love for sinners like you and me to see the golden rule in real life. There will be no disappointment. He is that good. He is that wonderful. And, and just summing up, not just this message, but summing up any command in Scripture. I, I feel like there's this, 
there's this gamble, if you will. If, if I go through with being a person that prays, if I go through with being a person that's going to treat other people how I would want to be treated, is it going to be worth it? Right? Is it, is it going to be worth it? Is, is what Jesus, what, how Jesus is telling us to live this kingdom life, is it going to be worth it? And, and I think what Daniel Aiken is saying here in that last couple sentences, you will not be disappointed. Like when you come to Jesus and you live this life that he's called us to, you're not going to be disappointed in the life and you're also not going to be disappointed in him. Why? Because he is that good and he is that wonderful. And so, so the invitation this morning, the, the, the sermon this morning is yes, we'd be people of prayer. Yes, we'd treat other people how we want to be treated. But it's almost this, this overarching theme throughout the whole Sermon on the Mount that we would come to Jesus expecting this to, to work. Like that this life is worth living, that this life is, is far greater than just not doing the bad things, that this life is far greater than just following some rules like the Pharisees would promote. Like this life that Jesus is calling us to is, is the one that's worth living. Right? And, and, but that's the, that's the struggle. Because back to how we would pray, what if we get 10 years down the road of living out the Sermon on the Mount and it really wasn't worth it? Right? Then, then what do we do? And the encouragement this morning is it is worth it. Why? Because we serve a good and gracious Father who listens to our prayers and who answers them according to His will and according to His glory. Let's pray this morning. God, we thank You. We thank You that we as kingdom citizens, as Your children, get to come boldly to Your throne. God, I pray that this morning, that this text, that we as followers of You would be asking, seeking, and knocking. May we be, be praying to You. May we be Uh, conversing with you. May we have this relationship with you. But God, as we would ask for your will to be accomplished, I pray that we wouldn't just ask and pray and then sit and do nothing. But God, help us to ask and then to seek and to knock. And God, may we find you at work in our lives as individuals. May we find you at work in the life of this church. God, this morning we ask for your kingdom here in Sarasota to grow. We ask in the here and now that your kingdom would grow, that lives would be saved, that that people would be transformed, that that those who know you would would learn more about you, who would love you more, who would look more like Jesus Christ. And so God, use us in in your kingdom-building process. Help us to make disciples. Help us to see people grow. Help us to, to change and look more and more like Jesus. Father, I pray that you would glorify yourself through this church. I pray that you would make your name lifted up in this community because of this church, because of the people here. God, we long for, the, for Revelation 7. We long for the day when we stand with, with all tribes and tongues and nations and, and millions of people that would come and worship you at your throne. But in the meantime, help us be busy building your kingdom today. We love you. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.